Amen. Oh, what a chapter of the Bible, Genesis chapter 3. There's so much in there. I'll see if I can get through it all this evening. Um, but uh, we, we were in Genesis 2 last week, so um, we, we're just you know up to the third chapter of Genesis. And already we, we've seen a lot happen, haven't we? We saw God resting on the seventh day at the beginning of Genesis 2. And uh, we, we talked about how that's a picture of the, the rest in Christ that we receive with salvation. Um, what, what you know, even on, on sort of day seven of kind of creation or the day after creation, you could say, you know, he's just giving us a picture of rest in Christ, which we saw explained uh, in more depth in Hebrews 3 and particularly chapter 4 with Hebrews 4.10 saying, for he that has entered into his rest, he also has ceased from his own works as God did from his. Um, chap- chapter 2 in, in Genesis then went into more depth about the creation of the first man and woman with Adam becoming a living soul. And we looked at the tree of life, tree of knowledge of good and evil. The tree of life for me, picturing the preserved word of God with where Proverbs 11.30 was one of many places we went, which says the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life and he that win of souls is wise. And for me, you know, a tree of life, it's the fruit being what comes out of the righteous mouth and um, that, that being ultimately the word of God, which is a tree of life. I, I think that's what it is there. The tree of knowledge of good and evil, showing free will and the choice to obey God or to sin and the resulting loss of innocence with that. We looked at the four rivers going far and wide to sustain life, plan for mankind to spread far and wide too. We looked at how Adam had a job. He was a gardener. He was put there to dress and keep the garden, wasn't he? Um, and we also um, we, we saw how the woman was made as an help meat, which is suitable for him. She was bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh, wasn't she? And, and not there for a lesser being. However, she is to submit to him as his help. And, and that's often, you know, often the easier job that as well. We're going to talk about that in a bit. Um, we saw that the, uh, the, the Bible says for this cause, uh, do, they, do they leave and cleave? talked about that as well that leaving and cleaving and um, something sadly that you know has changed a lot in our in our day and age and then the chapter finished with and they were both naked verse 25 of chapter 2 the man and his wife and were not ashamed uh, because at this point they were innocent as young children weren't they we're, we're going to carry on with Genesis chapter 3 now verse 1 says now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made and he said unto the woman yea Hath God said, ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? I'd like to pray before we continue, Father. Thank you for uh, well, this great chapter of the Bible, a chapter uh, which just shows us so many things, gives us so many lessons. Uh, help me to just preach this clearly now and accurately, Lord. Help uh, everyone to just really you know, have attentive ears to what your word has to say. Uh, fill me with your spirit, please, Lord, and, and just help me to preach boldly as well. In Jesus' name, for all of this, amen. Um, so we've gone from the creation of the world and mankind to talking serpents within, uh, well, we're, we're into the third chapter now. What's going on here? Well, well, a combination of verses in scripture makes it clear that this serpent is Satan, okay? And, and who seems to have either controlled an actual serpent or taken the form of one, um, whatever you want to believe there. Um, turn to Revelation 12, whilst I read John 8, 44, where Jesus is rebuking those reprobate Jews. And he says, ye are of your father, the devil, and the lusts of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own for he is a liar and the father of it. Okay, so the devil 
he was a murderer from the beginning. He was a father of lies. In Genesis 3, as the first lie in the world, as far as I'm concerned, he's a father of lying. In Revelation 12 talks of when Satan is eventually cast out to heaven. Verse 9 says, And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels was, were cast out with him. Jump forward to chapter 20 in Revelation, when we see Satan called that old serpent again. This is now just before the millennial reign. Revelation 20 from the beginning and verse 1 says, Revelation 20 and verse 1, And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years. And cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that he must be loosed a little season. So go back to Genesis 3 where, where, where not only is he called the serpent but in verse 15 God gives this prophecy. So in Genesis 3:15 it says, and I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. And, and you don't have to turn it but Romans 16, 20 says, and the God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly the grace of our lord jesus christ be with you amen so back in verse one it's not much study is it of the bible we're to understand this serpent is satan the devil and i say that just because you get the kind of the bible mockers out there who talk about talking snakes like it's all a big laugh and everything else well the the bible's pretty clear who the snake is represent who he is basically for for one reason or another there he is a devil he is satan and we see him as early as chapter three in the bible who who i believe you know, like, like the other angels was clearly a cre you know, created being, al along with everything else in that first week for me. Um, we, we would use the word snake now, okay, for serpent. Webster's 1828 describes a serpent as an animal of the order of serpentes, creepers, crawlers of the class of amphibia. Serpents are amphibious animals, breathing through the mouth by means of lungs only, having tapering bodies without a distinct neck. The jaws not articulated, but, but dilatable and without feet, fins or ears. Serpents move along the earth by a winding motion and with the head elevated, okay, that's a snake. Um, now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. We see in verse one, he said unto the woman, yea, hath God said ye shall, ye shall not eat of the tree, oh, sorry, of every tree of the garden. And we're going to continue reading just the next few verses and then see what we should then learn about our adversary, the devil, from there. Verse 2 said, The woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. For God doth know that in a day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her and he did eat. Right, so what can we learn then from this first appearance? First Peter 5, 8, you'd have to turn there, says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. So we're told to be sober, which is switched on and alert, isn't it? Vigilant. We should have our eyes open to the various attacks. If, if you've ever seen those nature documentaries of animals in lion country on the plains of Africa, they're constantly scanning, aren't they? They're not just kind of wandering along, not really paying any attention. Their ears are pricked the whole time. Their eyes are everywhere. They're always at the, 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 the animals which are, 
you know, the, the lion's prey. They're not just kind of just switched off, are they? They're constantly, well, sober and vigilant, aren't they? Okay, and, and even then they still end up getting eaten. Okay, but that, you know, that's part of it, isn't it? When you've got a, a predator as powerful as a, as a roaring lion walking about seeking whom he may devour, you need to be vigilant, don't you? And, and do you know when they're most susceptible to attack as well? For me, it's when they're eating and drinking, when they're appeasing the flesh, isn't it? When they're having to focus on the flesh, focus on their, their fleshly needs is when they're most, most uh, susceptible to attack. The verse, uh, verse one said, now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden. So things we can learn from the first appearance. First appearances are important in life in general as well. I often look back on first impressions I got from people and realise if only I trusted that first instinct, that first impression. Because often I get this little inkling, I try and give someone the benefit of the doubt and then sort of have a long after I realise, yeah, that first impression was probably quite, quite sound. Well, first impressions of the devil here, first things we can learn. Number one, the devil comes in disguise. The devil comes in disguise. He didn't have his pitchfork, his red horns and his forked tail, did he? Or arrow tail or whatever it is. Yeah, he didn't come looking like this horrible ghoul or anything else. He came as a serpent. He came as a snake. And turn to 2 Corinthians 11, because for us, he comes as a friend, as a family member, as a fellow believer, as a soul winner, as a pastor. He comes in disguise. He doesn't come with everyone going, oh, look, there's the devil. Again, that's a bit of a con out there in the world, isn't it? Where people are kind of seeing all these so-called images of the devil and everything else. No, he doesn't come like that. 2 Corinthians 11 and verse 13 says, For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. But Satan isn't omnipresent like God. I know many people like to talk about him as if he is. He has an army of devils and willing vessels. Verse 15 says, therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as a ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. So, look, you're not here, I doubt, going to be getting conned by some open Satan worshipper. Talking about burning, you know, burning people on the heath later on or something. You're going, oh, they just seem so nice, yeah? No, it, it, however, even though we're not going to be conned by that, even though the Bible warns us, how many still marvel? The Bible says, marvel not, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. And people are just, I just can't believe it. I saw them soul winning. I can't believe it because that pastor or that whoever it was, I mean, he seemed to once preach grace through faith. I can't believe it because that person who was in my life just seemed to be so friendly. I can't believe it because that teacher or whoever else just seemed to be, you know, just seemed to really like kids or whatever else. Look, that's what they come as. They come in all these different areas, yet we still marvel, don't we? We still marvel, sadly, and we're told not to marvel, which is why, because people marvel, why it often needs preaching, and why the Bible is just full of warnings about this. Full of warnings, and here in chapter 3 of the Bible, first appearance of the devil, and he doesn't come as the devil, he comes as a serpent. Let's carry on, though. Where are we? Um, right, so we've got, 
we, we looked at, uh, we, we were in Second uh, Corinthians 11 13. Go back to, to Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1 says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden. Lesson number two, the devil is subtle. Devil is subtle. We've got, he was a serpent. Point number two, right in verse number one, he was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. Subtle is sly, artful, cunning, crafty, insinuating. His devils, his ministers behave the same way. So again, most people here, we're probably not going to go toe-to-toe with the devil, but we're going to go toe-to-toe with his ministers. They will probe for weakness. They'll sow a little seed of doubt, a little comment, a little joke. They will sow discord, but not quite enough to kick them out. Believe me, when you start dealing with this, you realise, wow, it's clever how these people work. It's just not quite enough. It's always just on the edge. It's just enough that you don't quite have the extra witnesses. You don't, it's not quite concrete enough. They probe, they sow discord. They, They preach not quite blatant enough heresy to expose them when they're pastors and preachers, etc. Just not quite enough. There's something up, but it's not quite enough but they'll weaken you instead. So they're not preaching the open heresy, the open damnable heresy, yet they'll just weaken you with what they do preach. They'll just weaken soul winning. They'll just weaken your faith. They'll just slowly just start grinding it out of you, week in, week out. They'll drop a little comment here, the various versions of. A message there to appear to be something they're not. So they're clever. They'll, they'll, They'll be on one hand doing all sorts of wickedness behind the scenes, then when it's in front of people and when it's, you know, when they've got the audience, it'll just be a little comment to make them seem so on board. You know, a little, little comment about something to make them seem like they're part of the gang. It, it's crafty, it's flattery. A lot of flattery, because it makes you want to like them because they're flattering, they're charming. It's full of guile, okay? He's subtle. Okay, and we have to understand that. We have to constantly remind ourselves because we don't want to believe it. And, you know, something that we obviously therefore then should avoid is being that way, trying to sow seeds in conversations. And you always see it when people do that. Oh, it's trying to gear up. You can just see them, people trying to angle a conversation, then sow a seed. It's guile. Yeah, we don't want to behave like that. Planning how to manipulate someone to get what you want. Okay, it's wicked. Now, look, people can do that stuff. It doesn't mean they must be of the devil, but it's something we obviously want to steer clear of, don't we? Psalm 34, you don't have to turn there, 13 says, keep thy tongue from evil and thy lips from speaking guile. Okay, so it's something that we have to be careful not to be like that, not to try and manipulate conversations, not to try and gear conversations, not try and angle things, not to speak with guile, not try and be manipulative. Verse 1 said, now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of field which the Lord God had made, and he said unto the woman... So we've seen that that he came in disguise. We see that he's subtle. And number three, the devil targets the weak. The devil targets the weak. Now, I talked about this on Sunday. Here he went for the weaker vessel. And predators target the weak, don't they? Okay, so this is just normal predatory behaviour. They go for the young. They often go for the young. They go for the new believer. They go for the newcomer to church. They, they, they angle towards them, they try and get them on their own, they try and charm them, they try and do all this stuff. And, and it's hard because obviously, look, we don't want to ignore newcomers either. We want to be nice and pleasant to them. But you see this sort of behaviour 
and you start to see a sort of, and with that there'll be then the flattery and there'll be all the other stuff as well. They often target the women, and this is done in various ways, through advertising, the media, propaganda is constantly targeting women. So it's not just the infiltrator, it's not just the false prophet. We see it in various places as well. Women are often targeted heavily, okay, with this sort of stuff. Ever notice, by the way, how many women will be amongst the latest brainwashed protesters? Anyone ever notice that? Yeah, we're, we're, when you see the, the, the sodomite protesters teamed up outside a, a, a Bible preaching church, there'll be much, usually, from what I can see, a lot more than 50% of women. Yeah, with all their funnily coloured hair and all that weird stuff. And you'll see that with other things. You'll see, like, the latest liberal protest. All them idiots walking in shops pouring milk on the floor in the country a while ago. Most of them are women. Women or men that look like women. Uh, that's what you see, don't you? So they're, they're constantly being targeted by this sort of stuff. They, they work on their emotions a lot of the time. Okay, so women a lot of the time and, and, and are more emotional. And the thing is, it can be such a benefit in many ways as well, like we've talked about before. And without that, you know, the world would be a pretty hard place without women in there and the emotional side they have. But the devil targets that. He targets that weaker vessel. And in churches like ours preaching the truth, the men will often outweigh the women. That's just the way it is. You're, you're, it's, it's a lot rarer to see single women in churches like ours than it is single men. Okay, that's just the way it is. Why? Because they're the weaker vessel, and you'll, but you go down to the Liberal Fund Centre and it will be full of women. Yeah, you go down a lot of these Pentecostal churches and others, it will be full of women. Okay? And that's the reason. Okay? Because they're targeted, they'll go down the Liberal Truth Swerver, okay? Because they're, they're, they're pulled into that stuff easier. They're not as spiritually strong. That's the truth. Now, you'll get exceptions to the rule, but that's just the truth. That's what the Bible says. They are the weaker vessel. Who's to blame then about these women? Who's to blame about these women down the Liberal Fund Centre? Who's to blame about the, the protesting women? It's the men. The men that should be leading their women. The, the fathers that should have dragged their daughters to church. The, the, instead of allowing them to put on rainbow face paint, and, and spend their days surrounded by freaks and perverts. They're to blame. The husbands that should be leading their wives to things of God instead of things of the world. They're to blame. But let's not completely absolve the women of blame. If you're aware of the fact that you're the weaker vessel, if you're a Bible-believing female out there, and you're aware... In fact, you don't even have to be Bible-believing. I mean, it's pretty obvious, isn't it? Yeah? Then... If you're aware that you're a target of the devil and his devices, you need to submit to your husband's or your father's leadership, don't you? Okay, because, look, you're not absolved of blame. You know. The Bible says. Then the Bible tells you to submit as well. So not only are you going, no, thanks, no, no, God, but I'll tell you what, no, I'll just do it myself. Uh, no, I don't need to submit. I'm not, I'm not a submissive type. Well, then you're even more of a moron. Because... You're clearly warned in the Bible that you need to because you're not strong enough. That's the truth. And, and look, and you might go, well, I don't, well, what if I don't have a, hus a Bible-believing husband or I don't have a Bible-believing father? Well, then you have to submit to Christ's leadership. So you, it's one or the other. And then you, look, and hats off to women that are able to do that, okay? Because for most of them, they're not. They need that. They need, but they need leadership and ultimately then it has to be Jesus Christ's leadership. 
You have to turn to Ephesians 5.22 says, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. That they're, they're commanded to do something, and it's for good reasons, it's for their own good. It's not because God's like, oh, I just want those women to really get walked all over. Oh, this will really demean them or whatever else, you know, the junk you see out there in the world. No, it's because they need it. They need leading. They need leading. And, and, and the women that, that find it hard, they need to drop the pride that incidentally Satan encourages in you through the whorish role models that are pushed on you. It's all propaganda. Drop the pride. Yeah, there's no point trying to, trying to be like any of these whores in the media. Drop the rebelliousness that's pushed on you. Drop the resentment and submit to the stronger vessel. Because you're commanded to do so for good reason. It's for your own good. And, and you know what? It can actually be great. Do you know that, that I, I remember running jobs for years, yeah? So I, I've, I've had my own businesses for years, yeah? And I was running a, um, I was running a landscape uh, company for a long time. And then I started get, getting into coaching. And I started doing less and less of the landscaping and doing coaching. And, and look, sometimes it was tough. And at my busiest times, I had a few different teams working for me in busy summers. And then I started doing less and less because I was coaching a lot. And then basically I stopped coaching at the gym because I was coaching at another gym. And then I... I I, I started up my own gym eventually, but while I started up, I'd stopped a lot of the landscaping because I'd been coaching a long time and suddenly it was, man, I, I need some work really. I didn't have enough. So I had some friends who had their own things and I, one of them I used to employ who, and then he now was doing his own thing. He, he was more into carpentry and building. Another guy didn't and, and they started, they gave me a bit of work here and there because I didn't have as many contacts anymore, as many clients because I hadn't been doing so much anymore and I was trying to build up my new business. And, and you know what? It was brilliant. Absolutely. Do you know why? Because I didn't have the responsibility anymore. I turned up, I worked, you know, my backside off and I was appreciated. I was paid at the end of the day, I didn't have any of the stress, I didn't have to deal with the customers, I didn't have to do any of that, I took my money, I went home, and, I, and it was a nice job. And, and you know what, it was a lot easier than having the responsibility of running the show. Because the world will make out like somehow if you're running things, oh well that's the place to be, therefore you'll be happiest, but it's not really the case, is it? And often submitting to someone else's needs, having that responsibility is hard. And, and the responsibility of a man in a, in, in a godly home leading a family is not actually always a bed of roses if you're doing it properly and you're taking the responsibility seriously. So it's not, it's not some bad thing to do. And like I said, when I, when I got into some work where I didn't have that, I've been working as well at the same time for some guy, uh, we were installing solar panels and stuff. It was just great, turned up, worked hard. It's nice, working hard, get appreciated, you know, and, and let him deal with everything else. Let's carry on. So you got verse one said, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? So we've looked at the, at the serpent. So we looked at the devil coming, um, well, ultimately in disguise. We looked that he's subtle. We saw that he targeted the woman for a reason. He targets a weaker one. And there, there was only man or woman to choose from there. There weren't children to prey on either. Then number four, the devil questions God's word. And again, we're still in verse 1. Verse 1 of Genesis 3, and we see the devil questioning God's word. He came in disguise, and he came in to question God's word. Basically, did God really say that, is what he's asking. And this is done in various ways, and you can't escape. Whenever I look at this, I, straight away, I always just start thinking false Bible perversions. What did God really say? It's such a tactic of the devil, isn't it? 
flood the, the English-speaking world with 400 or so so-called Bible versions, which are really perversions, and really all you're really saying is, what did God really say? And you, put, you, you question it, people don't really know what to believe, but it's not just the Bible perversion. Of course, there's a lot of Bible perversions out there. But what about things like the Quran? Ultimately, what was the Quran? Did you just question God's word? You've got the Bible where, you know, with someone saved showing you it, you can see clear as day, it's grace through faith, you know, it's salvation, is a gift, etc. And then you've got suddenly the Quran comes along, 700, 800, whatever it years later, and, and it's back to work salvation, isn't it? And a load of other just ridiculousness with it. And you've got people, and then what happens with people in the world when you get all these fake books out there, they're going, well, which one's, which one's of God? I don't know which one to choose. All these different religions. The Talmud, question God's word. Because suddenly you've got all this extra away from the Bible, just absolute blasphemous rubbish, and the commandments of men. And again, people are going, well, what did God really say? The, the Bhagavad Gita. Uh, I mean, you, you name it, all these, all these sort of so-called books and everything else just questioning what God said. But, but it's the same with the infiltrator types. So they will, they're not just going to come in and just, just attack you with false doctrine most of the time. It will, it will start a lot of the time with a question rather than that straight out attack. What do you think this verse means? We had that here. Hmm. Hebrews, Hebrews 10, 20, I think it's 26, is it, onwards, you know. It's just like, hmm, what do you think that means then, you know? funny he claimed to have been safe for about seven years following following good preaching for the last however many years coming to our church soul winning and your your question you go, does look like work salvation then oh, moron but 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 what do they do they ask the question instead oh what do you think what do you think about this uh, the same guy that that clown ben franklin before we started this church i remember him coming to our to my house i was talking with brother dan there about a hymn where, where the words were a little bit sketchy he said well, didn't we repent of our sins though and trying to act like it was kind of like after but it was just like just sowing that little seed just seeing seeing if he could get his little support because i'm sure those sort of conversations went on between them which is why they were suddenly all best buddies well, we did when we were saying, yeah, there's a funny verse there where it's talking about, you know, then, you know, that's when I gave my life something. He's like, didn't we? We repented of our sins, didn't we? He's like, yeah, after salvation, then it just goes quiet. It's like, not quite enough, is it? It's a question. It's not just a straight out, I believe in work salvation. But I'll tell you what, that lot believe in work salvation. I've got no doubt about it. But then it'll be things like, is this a contradiction in the Bible? And you've got to watch for that stuff. I was talking about that earlier. Watch out for that stuff. Oh, you know, just, you know, is that a little contradiction there? Well, if you think it is, how about you go home and look at it yourself and study it yourself instead of questioning random people in the church about that, perhaps? Bit strange, isn't it? Maybe you don't have to call upon the name of the Lord. Mm -hmm. We had one of those in our church, didn't we? I think, uh, yeah, just, just oh, doesn't that verse say that, you know? Because they didn't, what was it? They didn't confess him before men, you know, for fear of the Pharisees or something. Mm, maybe you don't have to call upon the name of the Lord. Oh, funny that. Why are you just asking random people in our church? Because what they do is they don't just, it's not just for the attack on, they're also, they probe. They're trying to probe you, see who's friendly to their cause. So they'll ask a little question here, a little one there. So on one top, predators want other predators, they're pack animals. But then secondly, they want to also sow seeds of doubt in, in God's children as well. And you've got to, 
You've got to watch out for that. So turn to 2 Corinthians 11. It's subtle and it's to beguile you. Okay, it's to beguile you with the questions. 2 Corinthians 11 and verse 1 says this. 2 Corinthians 11, 1. Would to God ye could bear with me a little in my folly and indeed bear with me, for I am jealous over you with godly jealousy. You know God's jealous over you. For I have espoused you to one husband, that's the Lord Jesus Christ, I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear lest by any means as a serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he that cometh preacheth another Jesus whom we have not preached, or if you receive another spirit which you have not received, or another gospel which you have not accepted, ye might well bear with him. So both the non-believers and the believers oft, often tolerate false prophets. They try to justify them. They refuse to accept what they are and who they are. Okay, and, and that's why he's saying you might well bear with him. So whether they're believers or non-believers, there'll be some non-believers, sadly, you know, in the church in Corinth as well. But ultimately, he's speaking majority to believers and say you might even bear with them. And people do. People will bear with them, put up with them, turn the other cheek. Just kind of, well, just kind of uh, ignore that little comment, ignore this and that. And, and if you notice the wording back in Genesis 3 and verse 1, he said, yea, hath God said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? It seems like he's insinuating with the question that this means God won't, God won't let you eat all the fruit type thing. It's like, yea, hath God said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Like, as in, what, didn't God let you eat every tree? So it's a, a lot of the time it's like a little snipe at God as well, because really they hate God, these types of people as well. Hate God, obviously Satan hates God. And... and like I said, they probe, they probe for weakness. They, they often, they'll, want it, they'll probe for discontent as well. So they'll, they'll probe to see if you're on board. They'll probe for fellow wolves. And then what they also do is they try and probe for discontent. So they like to get people that maybe look like they're on the outside a bit. Look like they're, they're maybe just, you know, not that happy at church. Don't come all that often. Or maybe, you know, whatever thing. They just try, ask a few questions, try and get a little one-on-one. -on -one. So what do you think about this? What do you think about that? You know, and they try and get the, the teenagers, the kids with that. And this is the sort of tactics you see a lot. Okay, they're subtle. They're questioning God, questioning God's word. The devil started questioning God's word. What was Eve's response? Well, look at verse 2. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. Now go back to Genesis 2 to see if that was in fact what God said in verse 16. Genesis 2, 16 says, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. So nothing to do with touching it, is there? But is, before we get on to that, there's another interesting thing here as well. Eve said in Genesis 3.3, But of the fruit of, notice the word the, the tree, which is in the midst of the garden. So she mentioned the tree, singular, that is in the midst, which is the middle of the garden, okay? One tree in the middle. Genesis 2.9 says, And out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for, for food. The tree of life also in the midst of the garden. And the tree of knowledge of good and evil. 
So which tree is she talking about? Because here it seems that the tree of life is in the midst or middle, doesn't it? Oh, I've never noticed this before. He talks about the tree in the midst, but we see that the tree of life's in the midst of the garden. Could they be the same tree, maybe? Or am I wrong there? If, if the tree of life represents the word of God, isn't it the word of God that gives us knowledge of good and evil as well? Uh, maybe. I don't know. There's just something I was thinking about there. But there's definitely there's a discrepancy there because she's saying the tree in the midst of the garden, but the one that was described as the tree in the midst of the garden was the tree of life, also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Now, they might both be in the middle of the garden, but why did she talk about the tree in the midst of the garden? So she's, there's something up there, isn't there? Okay, and, and we'll keep going, though, and if you've got any thoughts about that, I'd be interested afterwards. Something I noticed about, that's about as far as I got with that. But Eve added, added on not to touch it either, okay? So what difference did that make? So I suppose that not touching it was something that maybe could have been accidentally broken and made it seem less likely that the punishment was death, maybe, you could say not touch it and maybe, oh, are you really going to get, you know, if you accidentally touch it, are we really going to get punished with death? So maybe that kind of, that misunderstanding of God's word is maybe what made her a little bit more, more la or open to the deception. Regardless, she was wrong. She didn't know God's commandment, God's word well enough. Really, that's the lesson there, isn't it? Whose fault was that though? Well, look at verse 16 in Genesis 2. And the Lord God commanded the man, the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for in a day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. And the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone, I will make him and help meet for him. So it seems to me that Adam was given the command, and he didn't relay it to Eve well enough. Did he? Adam, Adam should have taught his wife properly. Adam should have led his wife. Adam should have made sure she understood one of the, one of the only commandments they had been given and, and nailed it down and made sure she got it. It was Adam. She got it wrong. Where does the buck stop? Leadership. The buck stops at leadership. And often as husbands, we can complain and moan about, about our wives or about our kids or whatever it is, but ultimately the buck stops with us. Okay, we're the, we're, the, we're the ones responsible. You go to, you go to a company, and, or you go to a shop, or you go to a business, and you go and make a complaint. Don't just go, oh, yeah, well, it's just that employer, no nightmare. What can I do? No, the buck stops at the leadership. Why haven't you trained them well enough? Why have you not made them better at, what, at their job? And that's the same with us. It, the buck stops at us. Adam was the one commanded. His wife, Eve, got it wrong. Verse 4 says, and the, and the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. Number five, the devil lies. The devil lies. So these are all lessons we're learning about the devil. He didn't lie straight away. Okay, so back to, sorry, that was Genesis 3 and verse 4 we're back to. He didn't lie straight away. That came after. That came once he had the dialogue going. Once she showed her weakness in God's word. But eventually he lied and his ministers lie about God all the time, all right? They, they lie about God all the time, lie about salvation, lie about the wages of sin, lie about who he is, lie about what is sin and what isn't. They're just constantly lying, aren't they? 
but they'll they they they'll question and then the lie will come out further down once they think they've got people it's just constant lies and the goal of it all is what the goal of it's all death isn't it the goal about lying about the wages of sin about salvation about all of it the nature of god about you know what is you know just even about what real sins are about it's all it's all whether it's to the unsaved or, or it's ultimately to weaken the saved and prevent them from pulling people out of the fire, it, oh, the, the goal is basically more people going to hell. That's what it's about. He wants to destroy the word of God. He wants to destroy families. And he wants to destroy real churches. That's his goal. Okay, and, and Proverbs 26, 28, again, you don't have to turn this, it says, a lying tongue hateth those that are afflicted by it, and a flattering mouth worketh ruin. A lying tongue hateth those... So when people are lying to you and people are lying about things and lying about whatever it is, you know, things in their life, they're, they're not respecting you when they're lying. And people just lie to your face, lie about their wealth, their money, all that stuff. They're not lying to you because they just like you so much. They're lying because really they hate you. Really they don't like you. They despise you. They just want to make themselves appear this or themselves appear that. A lying tongue hateth those that afflict by it, especially when the result of their lies is to weaken you. The result of their lies is to end up with you basically either weaker in your faith or sadly unsaved because of those that, 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 you know, that are unsaved in the first place getting led to hell. And a flattering mouth worketh ruin. Don't forget that, okay, because, well, the flat I've seen it so often now, the flatterers, the flatterers, watch out for the flatterers. And, and the lies come in various forms, like I said, and often it's along the line of this one. And this is basically what the devil did. God doesn't want what's best for you. God doesn't want what's best for you. And that's a lie that often we'll see angled at people. And it's done in a subtle way. And I don't, you know, there's various ways and angles that it's done where people will be going, you know, well, God doesn't care about me. God doesn't want what's best for me, etc., etc. Or, or maybe that a sin will make you happier. That's that lie as well. You know, oh, well, you'd be happy if you did this. And again, that comes from the mainstream media a lot. Constantly promoting, pushing sin, like somehow that will make you happy. But it's a lie, isn't it? It's a lie. It won't make you happier. You'll be better off if you just go out of God's will. You'll be better off if you go down this route. You'll be better off if you go into this sin. You'll be better off if you go to a more liberal church. You'll be better off if... But the truth is, it's a lie. The devil's full of lies, they come in various ways. For God doth know, he said in verse 5, back, back to Genesis 3 verse 5, For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And that's one of the temptations with the false Bibles, isn't it? You get to play God and decide what it should say. So I, I've been at churches, you know, the first church I was really kind of a part of, was was one of these false version churches when I was newly saved and it would be something along these lines and I, I'd go with my King James Bible and uh, which was quite an eye-opener because with time you just couldn't you couldn't go there anymore because it's just this is ridiculous I mean, over time when you're just seeing all these differences but this is one of the ones I'd hear a lot yeah so and it's, it would be like they're, they're not stuck on one Bible version so they go well the NIV says this the ESV says this. The RSV says this, but I think it actually means this. And, and, and everyone's just like, oh, 
Wow. <laughs> they go, but what the Greek actually says. Sometimes they'll add the KJV. They'll go, and the KJV says this. Sounds so poetic. But what the Greek actually says is this. And what hap what's really happening is everyone sitting there just going, like, wow. You know, what, what a, you know, wow, they speak such good Greek. They know which one's right and which one's wrong. But what they're really doing, they're going, thus saith the pastor. Instead of, thus saith the Lord. And when you've got a Bible that you know is preserved, you know is inspired, you just say, this is what my Bible says. Thus saith the Lord. We don't need to go back to the Greek. We don't need to go back to the Hebrew. We don't need any of that junk. We just say what the Bible says, right? But for them, it's like, well, what they, when they say the Greek says this, they're saying like my lexicon. They don't even speak Greek. And if they did speak Greek, I'm sure they don't speak it as well as these 50 or so translators spoke Greek. Let alone the fact they're using a false Bible manuscript anyway. Well, you can't even call it a Bible manuscript. You've just got a false manuscript, a, fr a fraud, a fake. But anyway, th this, is, this is one of those. And, but ultimately, what they're saying, that, that the temptation is that they can be as gods. They can decide what the Word of God says. And, and many people like that anyway. I, I've spoken to people before. They go, well, I like to take a bit of this one. I like, I like to look at what five different Bible versions say. So what are you saying? You get to choose. Well, that one doesn't really fit with my plans. That one doesn't go with where my heart is. So I'll go with that one. And that's what it is. They're basically be, trying to be as God's knowing good and evil. But, but it, it, isn't it the temptation as well with New Age mysticism? The, the higher power stuff, the Buddhism stuff. The temptation with that is that they can be as gods. People believe that they're going to get this like, spiritual power from it. Seriously. Half, like, half those people in those yoga classes, it's not just because they think they're going to get more flexible. They think they're getting more spiritual. And if you get to know any of these people, when, when they talk to you, they kind of act ultra-spiritual. And they're like, oh, yeah, you know, well, when I was talking to my higher power, and, you know, and they act like they're some sort of god, basically. And they're constantly trying to teach you and tell you what to do and stuff when you're not even asking them based on their spiritualism and everything else. And, again, what, what is it, really? They're, they're trying to be as gods. They're trying to be as gods. That's the temptation with all that stuff. Verse 6 then says, And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. Number six, the devil finds your weaknesses. Okay, he will find your weaknesses. We all have weaknesses. Okay, he'll find your weaknesses. It was pleasant to the eyes. That was a weakness, wasn't it? They got all these lovely fruits, all these lovely trees. This one was pleasant to the eyes. So that was a temptation. It was pleasant to the eyes. And a tree to be desired to make one wise. And that's how he built it, didn't he, to her. So she's thinking, oh, great. So there's a, the temptation there for her. Now, he knew as well, I believe, that Adam would do what she did. And notice this. It says in verse 6, and gave also unto her husband with her. With her. Adam was there, wasn't he? He didn't say and gave also unto her husband. It, for me, it's, it, he said, took of the fruit thereof and did eat. For she, so she took of the fruit of the oven, did he, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. Adam, Adam, I think, experienced the whole temptation, and even though he angled it to Eve, he probably knew that if she did, then Adam would as well. Uh, turn to Psalm 64. 
Adam was to blame, yeah? Don't make no, make no mistake about that. I know I've mentioned this a couple of times now. He was the leader. He was to blame. Romans 5.12 says, talking of Adam, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. That one man, it's talking about Adam. Look, look, just because your wife sins, you don't have to. Okay, men, you don't have to. Look, you, could, you need to try and lead her not to, but if your wife says you don't just, oh, well, well, it's her fault, we'll just both get involved. Oh, it's her fault. She doesn't want to come to church, so we're not coming to church. She doesn't want to do this, so we're not doing it. It's not acceptable. Yeah? Adam didn't have to. He was the one responsible. If he was there, which I think he was, he should have intervened as well. He should have got involved because really he probably liked the idea as well, didn't he? However, he still blames it on the woman afterwards. Psalm 64, like I, like I said earlier, it shows that the devil's children look for weaknesses, like he did there. So he, know, he knew the weaknesses, and what they do is they look for them. So they probe for the weaknesses, okay? And they, they'll ask little questions, they're looking and they're analysing. I've been around these people where you, you sometimes watch them and their eyes are just darting everywhere, if, especially if they come inside your home or maybe inside your office or something. You just see their eyes, just, they're just looking for anything, looking for anything, looking for anything. You, you might maybe go to show them something on your phone, you just see them just like really wanting to look at everything that's on it. They're just looking for something. And sometimes you do, and then you check yourself, like someone goes to show you something, they're trying to scroll through photos. I'm just like, look the other way, I don't want to see all your photos, you know? Someone's like, oh, let me show a photo, and they start like, the normal thing to do is, well, that's your private business. But then you get those people, and you get it out, you go to try and look for something, and they're just like, just need to see everything. Just knitted and they're probing. You know, and I'm not saying every single person that does that's wicked, but it's a bit weird. It's a bit nosy at the least, isn't it? But this sort of thing I've, I've experienced with these people is they're just, they're trying to find, they're looking for something, looking for something, looking for something. Psalm 64 shows that, it says in verse one, it says, um, it's a Psalm of David, it says, hear my voice, I God, in my prayer, preserve my life from fear of the enemy. Hide me from the secret counsel of the wicked, from the insurrection of the works of iniquity who wet their tongue like a sword and bend their bows to shoot their arrows, even bitter words. They're looking for things they can say, ways they can weaken, ways they can, they can harm you with their words, that they may shoot in secret at the perfect. Suddenly do they shoot at him and fear not. And the perfect, obviously, being those whole, complete in, in, in Christ. They encourage themselves. And it, it, by the way, that last bit there, suddenly do they shoot at him and fear not. It, it, it never ceases to amaze me as well, the people that claim to... to to love the Lord, because they claim to be believers, who just seem to have no fear of God. They'll be attacking men and women of God and just no fear at all, yeah? Because really, because they don't really, they don't, you know, they're just driven by the devil. They fear not. They encourage themselves in an evil matter. They commune of laying snares privily. They say, who shall see them? So, like we said, even though sometimes for some of them, you know, I've always wondered how aware are some, look, Obviously, many are aware that they're trying to lay snares, privily, privately, basically, saying, who shall see them? They encourage themselves. Again, they're pack animals, they encourage themselves. Then look at verse 6. They search out iniquities. They're looking for them. They're trying to search them. They accomplish a diligent search. It's not just that they're just glancing around. They're doing a diligent search for what they can, anything they can find on you, both the inward thought of every one of them and the heart is deep. Okay, they're not just, they're, they're, they're just like, what can I find? What can I take this person down with? What can I get on them? What can I do? How do I pull them down? 
And, and if you think, oh, he's just talking about... So look, they'll do the same with you. They'll do the same for people that they believe that they can attack. Yeah, they'll find... They do a diligent search. They're trying to look for it. And, and that's exactly, for me, the devil saw the way the angle in. He knew the way in to get Adam was through, through Eve. And, and that's the first time we see the devil. And then the Bible is telling us what his children are doing the whole time. Six lessons from those first six verses. Number one, the devil comes in disguise. Number two, the devil is subtle. Number three, the devil targets the weak. Number four, the devil questions God's word. Number five, the devil lies. And number six, the devil finds your weaknesses. Now, we've got a little bit of time, so I'm going to try and hit the rest of it, because you're probably thinking, what on earth? That was six verses, yeah? Six verses, six tactics, but I'm going to try and speed up a little bit now, okay? But it might go over a little bit, okay? Uh, verse 7 says, And the eyes of them both were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. So they're no longer innocent. They have the knowledge of sin. And with that is an awareness of their nakedness. But don't miss a picture here, okay? They attempt to cover themselves with the work of their hands, sewing leaves together. We see later that God shows the only way to cover them a picture of the covering of sin in verse 21, where it says, Unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothe them. So the picture is a blood sacrifice covering their sin, yeah? But we'll continue. Verse 8. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walk in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves in the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. So we're now seeing the consequence of sin. Firstly, they were, they were working to attempt to cover their sin. Now they're hiding from God. And this is so often the case. People sin, they get into sin, they do something bad, and then they hide from God. Then they don't want it, then they don't, suddenly, Bible reading's off. Oh, I just don't feel close to God right now. Oh, I feel like God hasn't been there for me. No, you've sinned, you're out of God's will, now you'll find it hard to then pray to God, you'll find it hard to read the Bible. That's when they stop coming to church. It's so often the case now, they'll make out like there's all these other reasons and often they'll try and pin it on this or that, blame, you know, someone at the church, blame whatever it is. But the truth is they're hiding from God. That's what happens. They hide from God here. They hid themselves. The first sin we see in the Bible and they're hiding themselves to the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. Verse 9 says, The Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And, and you know when you're hiding from God, God calls to you. Okay, he calls you. He calls you when you're hiding. Your Bible is calling you when you're hiding. It's there, isn't it? Just calling you. You know, you know, if you're trying not to read, you know, you just put off it a bit. It's just there. Just go, read me, read me. Yeah, it does. Your Bible's calling you. Church is calling you, isn't it? You know, because you just don't feel right. You might try and justify it. You might try and blame, you know, brother or sister so-and-so at church for why you're not there or something else. But the real reason is, or the real truth is that you're being called by church. God's calling you. When people disappear from church, stop praying, stop Bible reading. God's saying, where art thou, isn't he? That's, it. That's what's going on. He's there just going, where art thou? And you know it. And you can't hide. And you might convince yourself, well, I'll be better off if I've just been it all. Oh, I'll be much happier, you know. And really, it's because of your own sin, but I'll be happier. But the truth is, God's just going to be calling you, where art thou? And you're going to keep hearing that call. And you'll never be content until you're back in God's will. And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, verse 10, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And so often, I've, I believe it's a fear of what God's word will, will say, isn't it? 
It's a fear of what's going to be preached at church. It's a fear of the sin being exposed. It's a fear of other people at the church maybe recognising that there's an issue, that, that knowing or seeing through you or whatever else it is. There's all these reasons that people then try and hide from God and God's people and they're afraid because they feel naked. They feel like they're naked. They're feeling like it's, it's exposed to all. And sometimes it's like they know if it gets preached on, they're just going to give the game away or something, you know. And, and so often that's what happens. People then try and run away because they're, they're scared. They're afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And that's kind of that nakedness because of sin there. And he said, who told thee that thou was naked? Has thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? And the man said, the woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I did eat. Now, it's the blame game, but often we look at this, we think, oh, Adam's blaming the woman, but who's he really blaming? He's blaming God. He's not saying, oh, it's that woman. He is, but he's going, it's a woman that you gave me. And it's your, and look, again, how many Christians will do this? It's your fault for giving me this wife. It's your fault for giving me this husband. It's your fault for giving me this job. It's your fault for giving me this role in life. It's your fault for making me who I am. It's your fault that I'm not. And people turn on God. They blame God. They blame God because of their choice to sin. It's their choice. We're responsible. We make the choice. Then, so often, the blame goes to God. Your fault. I can't believe. I don't feel. I can't believe God let this happen. I can't believe that happened. How many, do, how many people do, who aren't even saved? But I had someone today, and fortunately, praise God, she got saved. But she did have that question. Well, after, the, you know, I lost this person, that, you know. I, I, and, but she did it in a nice way. Sometimes they do it in a horrible way, don't they? Oh, God. And then they slam the door in your face after they have a rant about God. But I did politely say to her, look, I'll be honest. I said, if, if, if you've been saved, if you were a child of God, as the Bible says, you would have more right to go, well, I, you know, I have been questioning why this happened. But considering the vast majority of these people have no interest in anything of God whatsoever, yeah, no interest in salvation or none of it, and then they're like, why didn't you just like pull all the strings? And then, and part of that comes from the false doctrines of Calvinism and all the, and there are many versions, like many religions have this sort of puppet on a string sort of idea, don't they? And you have to explain that to people, don't you? But here he's, he's blaming God. And so many people do that. He's blaming him for, for, for his wife. And the Lord God said unto the woman, what is it that thou hast done? And the woman said, the serpent beguiled me and I did eat. So she's blaming the devil. And by, by the way, a lot of people do that as well, don't they? I mean, think about it in the Pentecostal churches, you know, the devil made me do it. It's the spirit of this. Oh, I've been done with the spirit of alcoholism again. Oh man, that devil, you know. All people are just like, the devil's really on my back. No, the flesh is on your back. Yeah? It's your flesh. It's not the, the devil hasn't got, you know, he's not on your back every time. Now, don't get me wrong, we do get tempted. Yeah, there are those, those ways that he works. However, so often it's the flesh, and so often people want to blame. Now, ultimately, the devil did beguile her. Okay, the devil did, but he didn't make her do it. He didn't make her do it. And we're going to get temptations in life, whether it's the flesh, whether it's the devil or whatever else. However, what are we going to do? Are we just going to choose to sin because, well, you know, he beguiled me. Are we going to go, no, I take responsibility. I'm not going to sin. Yeah? 
Verse 14, And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. Now, this is a literal serpent here. It is an interesting fact, yeah? There is an organ in the roof of a snake's mouth called Jacobson's organ. Anyone ever heard of this before? No? This helps the snake to smell in addition to its nose. Its darting forked tongue samples bits of dust by picking them up on the points of the fork, which it then presents to its matching pair of sensory organs inside its mouth. Once it has smelt them in this way, the tongue must be cleansed so the process can be repeated immediately. So they do actually eat dust, <laughs> okay? And many people are kind of, oh, there must be some allegory. Well, I think actually snakes do eat dust, yeah? But um, yeah, that seems to be the result of, of that. But ultimately, that's the result um, that's the result of, of, you know, for the serpent there. And maybe there's a good picture there. I don't know. But then we see then to the li to literal Satan in verse 15, what the repercussions for him are. And you could go, well, it was a bit tough on the snake there, wasn't it? Well, maybe the reason for that is it's just something that we'll always remember as well. And it's funny, isn't it, that you've got the snake, you've got the serpent. You've got clearly in Genesis 3, you've got him called the serpent throughout the Bible, or at least in many places in one way or another throughout in the Bible. And then you've got a load of weird different religions where they've got snake gods and gods with snakes around their heads and necks and all that weird stuff. And people just, you know, loving snakes on their coats of armour and snakes here and there. Dragons, if not. I mean, the Chinese love a dragon, don't they? And really, all they're really doing is just worshipping at least the image of Satan, aren't they? Anyway. So we see that, that we've got that snake, and, and it, is, it is, if you think about it, it's quite, it's interesting to watch a snake, and you watch snakes on rocks, and you ever see those things, and those, those documentaries, and things like that. It's quite fascinating, and I suppose we should be just being reminded that he was actually made to be like that. And, and, and then we see, though, with, the, with literal Satan, now verse 15, where it says, And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed, it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. So now we see the repercussions for him. Now, as mentioned earlier, this is prophetic with the seed of the woman eventually being the Lord Jesus Christ, born of a virgin. Obviously, both 100% man and 100% God, yeah? The enmity is between the spiritual seed of the devil and Jesus Christ, with Christ then and that spiritual seed, the children of God bruising Satan's head. Because it's not just Christ. Because... Uh, I'll show you this in a second. Satan obviously bruises his heel with the crucifixion and, and then continuing to bruise the children of God through his spiritual seed. And it's spiritual seeds, OK? Don't get caught up in any like this bizarre, crazy, you know, I don't even want to go down that route. Yeah, it's just absolute madness, OK? Clearly a spiritual seed, because what do you say to the Jews? Ye are of your father, the devil, and they were of the physical seed of Abraham. Okay, so it's just madness. It's junk the ear from absolute damnable heretics like Gene Kim and the rest of these absolute clowns, yeah. Okay, but we're talking about a spiritual seed as we know, because these people deny really in a way that we're spiritual seed as well. They just have to deny the whole thing. It's, everything's physical with them, isn't it? Everything's a genealogy. But anyway, to the point of going bizarre and then Satan having children with Eve and stuff, just madness. Okay, okay. anyway, so... Um, Okay, so like I said, he continues to bruise the children of God. So Romans 16, if you turn to Romans 16, shows that it's an ongoing battle, okay? So if you turn to Romans 16 and verse 17, Romans 16 and verse 17 says this. Now, this is a famous kind of, 
couple of verses because obviously it goes hand in hand with church discipline. But think about who these people are that are getting kicked out. Romans 16, 17 says, Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offences contrary to the doctrine which you have learned and avoid them. Okay, these are false prophets. For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. Not good being simple. Okay, wisen up if you are. For your obedience is come abroad unto all men, I am glad, therefore, on your behalf, but yet I would have you wise unto that which is good and simple concerning evil. And the God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. So for me, it's an ongoing battle between God's children and the devil's children. So we see it fulfilled by Jesus Christ's crucifixion and probably you could say ultimately with, with Satan eventually being cast into hell. But there is an ongoing battle with his children and God's children as well, with us bruising Satan under our feet shortly. And, and how does that work? Well, because so often they're manifest, aren't they? Manifest and destroyed, at least spiritually. And, and, but they do, they, they do bruise, our, bruise our feet as well, don't they? They do bruise our heels. And they do come and cause us trouble in many different ways. Verse 16, back to Genesis Chapter 3 says this, Unto the woman, he said, so we're on to the woman now, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. So due to sin, there's a multiplied sorrow with childbirth, and there's a multiplied, it seems like, childbirth as well, multiplied conception. Perhaps... My thoughts are to keep them close to God because I think a lot of people look at these verses and they look, oh, it's punishment, punishment, punishment. But, uh, but is God punishing all of, all of mankind because of Eve? And, and people look at that and think that, and I can understand why. Or is there a method to what he's doing? There's a reason why these things happen, and we'll see it with the man as well. But with Eve, he, he multiplies her sorrow and her conception... But bear in mind, she now has a knowledge of good and evil. So there's now sin and there's obviously that inherited sin nature as well. And, and turn to 1 Timothy 2. Because I don't think this is, a, this is necessarily as a punishment. I think it's a safeguard against distancing from God. So I don't know about you guys here and ladies as well, really. But during my wife's labours, and, and I'm sure for her as well, it's probably been when we've drawn closest to God. I'm sure for many of you, it's a scary time, isn't it, childbirth? And so often, like, that's when you're praying most, that's when you're, you're just kind of calling on God, when you, it's, it's, you know, because it is a high-risk time, isn't it? And, and th that's a pretty kind of, that's a time when you are close to God, when you're calling on God, when you're just like, you want to make sure you're right in God's eyes, you really need him to help you and bless you through it all. Well, 1 Timothy 2 and verse 12 says, But I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence, for Adam was first formed than Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. Notwithstanding, she shall be saved in childbearing, if they continue in faith and charity and holiness with sobriety. Now, it seems to me like a call to drawing near to God to get through that labour, doesn't it? That's what I see there. It's a, it's a call. And, and look, I know look, stuff can happen anyway. I'm not saying it's all just that, oh, you, you know, if you had a bad labour or something, you must be out of God's will. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is there is, 
He does, he does say she shall be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith, charity and holiness with sobriety. And then we've seen that God has given that back in Genesis 3. He said, I will, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. But bearing in mind that I think maybe without that, maybe we draw even further away from God. Maybe it's a way of drawing us close to God. It's drawing us into the things of God. The more children, the more that stressful time you're going through, the more you're drawing close to God, the more you're calling on him. Maybe. Uh, he did say, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception, because it's the same with the next bit, in sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. And again, is that a punishment? Or is it like we said earlier, because women need that. They, they, they need to be ruled, they need to submit to their husbands, and they need that leading, don't they? Like I said, without the leading, how many single women are turning up in churches like this? Very few. Yet married women will because they're getting led to it, yeah? And, and look, it's because of that sin, for me, that she needs that ruling over. And the desire to him is basically like saying you'll be subservient to him. Okay, so he's saying, look, and you will be subservient to him, okay? Your desire is in you're going to serve him. And, and, but it's for her own good. It's for her own good because even without that, even before that sin nature, she was beguiled by the devil. How do you think that's going to be then with that knowledge of good and evil and that full sin nature? And that's why, that's why they're, they're commanded to be under... And, and don't get me wrong, I'm not saying the men are perfect, but they are the stronger vessel. And, and again, you know, they're, they're usually able, for various reasons, to do those more things. They have that, they're able to, to work hard, for, for starters and be able to pound those streets and do those long marathons all the time and that, all that, the, the soul winning, everything. They, they have that ability more. And, and they, look, the women need that leading. It's for their own good, though. Okay, and, and then we see what's for Adam's own good here. It says in verse 17, And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and has eaten of the tree, of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it, cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee. Thou shalt eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread till thou return unto the ground. For out of it was thou taken. For dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. It's for his own good, isn't it? Now, don't get me wrong. I know he started off tending the garden, but it's a bit different to out of the sweat of thy face and the thorns and the thistles and everything else. But what did he say in verse 17? Cursed is the ground for thy sake. It's for his own good. All these things are for their own good. Yeah, it's for his own good that, that the ground is cursed. Because let's be honest, those without enough to do are usually in the most sin. People who, don't have, who have too much time, time on their hands are often in, in sin. And, and a lot of the time, you know, sin is a slippery slope as well. It's not like, oh, well, they just do something a little... It just gets worse and worse. And, and that's why it's for his sake. And, and why? Because when you don't have enough... You have too much to think about, too much time on your hands, the temptations are coming. Just, it's just too much sin to get into. It's everywhere. The temptations are everywhere, aren't they? You're not busy. It's just everywhere. You pick up your phone now. You just try and, look, you try and look for a sermon on your phone. You watch a sermon, it finishes, and then the suggested things next and everything else or, or further down the screen. It's like, wait a second, I'm on my, my, my subscriptions. It's suggesting me clip of this, clip of that. And it's, 
it, it might not be the worst stuff, but it's just temptation, 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 isn't it? And if it's not that, then if it's not, it doesn't have to be social media, it could be anything. At the least, to just have a waste of time. To just waste your time. And then, and, if, and then when you waste your time, you start getting into whatever it is. Whether for some people it'll be some form of game, computer game, or something else. Again, at what point does that become sin? When it starts to then beget, become, because so many things are addictive. And then it starts to pull you out of the things of God. And then your Bible reading lacks. Now it's starting to become, now we're getting that line of sin, aren't we? When suddenly those other things, which were just a bit of a time filler, because you had too much time, time on your hands, starts to become addictive and starts to take over from the things of God. And, and it's having too much time on your hands. That's why we need to work. We have to work. And if for those people that don't work, they need to find something to do. You know, and, and you know, if they're not looking for work, for whatever reason, they need to be doing something. Because if you're sitting around, believe me, you don't, there aren't people that are just sitting around doing nothing that are just living godly, holy lives. It doesn't work like that. And that's why all these people that kind of want, want money to go out and, and sit in some country, these clown missionaries that, that I've been at church to, all they talk about is these people that just go out and just do nothing all day. They're not soul winning. What are they doing? What are they doing? And I'll tell you what they're doing. They're just in sin. Just doing whatever else, fighting temptation, everything else. No, they need to be working or they need to be working for God's soul winning, don't they? And doing stuff, getting busy. And, and that's why, you know, this sort of church, we'll always have a busy church. Because I've been to churches where the, 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 the pastor does nothing. I mean, it, they'll, they'll have like, I mean, I was at one church where the guy was a missionary from the US, full paid from a big church out there. One sermon, one service, sorry, on a Sunday morning. Full time. I mean, what's he doing? What on earth was he doing? He wasn't there on a Sunday evening. He wasn't there on a midweek. He was writing one 30 to 40 minute sermon. What was he doing? All, all week. I'll, I'll tell you what he's doing. Probably fighting if, or, and probably losing the fight with temptation to sin. Because, look, being busy is like We need to be busy, don't we? We need to be busy, busy doing stuff, busy getting stuck in. And, and, and don't ever resent the fact, well, I've got to work, you know, and then like do the things of God, you know. Look, it's good for you. It's good for you. He said, for thy sake. Curse is a ground for thy sake. Okay, we're just going to finish off now. Verse 20 says, and Adam called his, his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. So, so by the way, Adam named her, okay. Adam named his wife, yeah. She took the name that he gave her. And Adam also, unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothe them. And the Lord God said, Behold, the man is become as one of us to know good and evil. And now lest he put forth his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever. So we talked about him clothing them uh, with coats of skins. But the, the tree of life for me, that's salvation coming from the word of God. That's what I believe. I believe that it's a picture of the word of God that that's where salvation comes from, isn't it? It's the word of God. It's, it's, it's a gospel. Verse 23, Therefore the Lord God sent him forth from the Garden of Eden to till the ground from whence he was taken. So he drove out the man and he placed at the east of the Garden of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. And that for me is a preservation, a picture of the preservation of God's word as well. Is the, the flaming swords, they keep the way of the tree of life. They're keeping the word of God which will never pass away, will it? Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. Um, 
Okay, story went over a little bit there. That was uh, Genesis chapter three. I'm glad we did that in one. No, I could have tried to split that, but I'm sorry if I rushed the last bits a little bit, but wow, there's a lot in there, isn't there? Um, on that, we're going to pray. Father, thank you for, um, well, just some, the, uh, so many lessons we can get out of Genesis chapter three. I hope I preach what you wanted me to today. Um, things that, that hopefully our church can take away and think about and, and, and you know, strengthen um, with and, and Lord we, we thank you for your word we thank you for just you know the, the many truths the many lessons you, you were giving us in you know in just the recording of those those you know first moments in, in the world's history we thank you for just, just you know all, all just just the richness of God's of your word and you know your word is just amazing it just so much we can get from it um, help us to, to apply it to our lives um, this week and ongoing um, you know, many of the lessons we got from Satan and his, his people um, help us to, to, you know, just be wiser from that and uh, help us to get home safe and sound as well tonight and return on Sunday. In Jesus' name, for all of this. Amen.